this has definitely been the hardest experience I've been through in ministry in 37 years. And um, it's, it's made that way, obviously, because we are not together as the family of God. I love you and I miss you all so much. This church is so empty. The building is so empty. Um, as the church, the people are scattered during this time of pandemic. And um, it's unlike anything any of us have ever experienced, but we are pray prayerfully seeking God in the midst of that. And the message that the Lord gave me this morning is one that I have wept through all week as I have prepared it. Uh, honestly, as late as last night, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to uh, share it. I thought maybe that the timing was not right and the Holy Spirit continues to tell me this is a message people need to hear today. And so with the help of God, I want to share with you a very sober reminder in the midst of this pandemic. We rejoice and give thanks that God is with us and for us as always, but there is something that we dare not forget and it comes from the teaching of Jesus found in Luke chapter 13. So listen now to God's word. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Father God, we pray now in the wonderful name of Jesus that um, his teaching, these words will speak to us in these next moments. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. If God is so great and God is so good, then where is God during this pandemic? I am certain there are many people that are asking some form of that question right now. Perhaps you've been trying to make sense of it yourself. As of this morning, there are almost 125,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the United States with 2,229 deaths. Yesterday alone in this country, 525 people died of this disease caused by this novel coronavirus that emerged three months ago in China. Worldwide, it stands at 670,000 persons confirmed to be sick with COVID-19 and there have been 31,000 deaths. And the pandemic is not slowing down in many parts of the world. As one prominent atheist asked, how can a so-called always present, all good, all powerful, all knowing God allow so much injustice, evil, and pain in our world? Why has God allowed the coronavirus to afflict our world 
with so much chaos and death, others have asked. Why didn't God protect those 60 priests in northern Italy who have died from this disease simply because they were caring for the sickest of the sick and administering last rites to them as they were dying? Where is God in our suffering world this morning? I've asked this question many times over the past 40 years. And I've heard people say things like, don't worry, God is in control. I'm sorry, but that's not good enough. Those words are not at all comforting to people that are going through experiences or seasons of extreme suffering. Uh, trying to tell a mom of three who is dying of brain cancer that God is in control is not helpful. Will God is in control help a woman who is trying to recover from being sexually abused and raped by her own father for over a decade and is now unable to have a healthy, normal relationship with her husband? Is that going to be helpful? I'm not sure it helps a husband reeling from his wife's infidelity um, to hear his pastor say, don't worry, God's got this. What about a family torn asunder by a son's opioid addiction that has bankrupt the family as they have tried to help him find freedom? And what about those millions of people that are filing unemployment Filing for unemployment just this past week in our country. Does telling people that God's in control, is that really helpful? I wish I had a tidy answer to the problem, to the dilemma of human suffering in order to eliminate all doubts about God's presence with us and for us. But the problem of evil, as any thinking Christian will will know is very complicated. It's fraught with numerous dilemmas and, and it's always vulnerable to misunderstanding and abuse. I've heard some people say some pretty stupid things on God's behalf these last couple of weeks. Um, and I want to say this morning perhaps a few things that might help us in the midst of this situation that we find ourselves in as a world. Now, whether you're an atheist who says there is no God or an agnostic who doesn't know or care if there's a God or, or a Christian, a professing Christian, especially a fully devoted follower of Jesus, most of us struggle with the problem of evil and suffering in the world. And especially at a time like this, there is mystery to the human experience in times of, of suffering in our everyday lives. And here in Luke 13, Jesus addresses this problem in a way that does not entirely satisfy. Jesus does not answer the why question of why there is evil and pain and suffering in the world, nor does he defend God's honor, um, who often gets blamed for evil in the world. Instead, Jesus confronts the human tendency to equate human suffering with personal sin or human suffering with national sin. Two tragedies had occurred at that time. We don't have any other record of these things. 
They're the kinds of things that we read about in the newspaper uh, from day to day or see on the internet. But one involved a murderous rampage. Now, what doesn't happen in our day very often uh, in our world, thankfully, is that it was, an, it was an official, the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, who ironically is a part of the Apostles' Creed. A very evil, uh, corrupt individual who, who reminds us that our faith is rooted in history. Even Pilate is, is a part of the gospel story because it is Pontius Pilate who sentenced Jesus to death to be crucified. But anyway, Pilate had some Galilean pilgrims who were at the Jewish temple worshiping. He had them murdered while they were offering their sacrifices. An unspeakably evil thing to do. The other incident was an accidental death of 18 persons when a building, a tower, uh, the Tower of Siloam in Jerusalem collapsed on them and killed them. And Jesus asked, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Is that why they suffered? And then he asked, and what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? Now, it, it is human nature, I think, for us to equate good behavior with good outcomes. Uh, the health and wealth gospel, which is so prevalent uh, in our world today, basically teaches that if we have adequate faith, if, if we're faithful to God, if we're obedient to God, if we love God with our whole, our whole being, then God will bless us and prosper us and give us success. And so the logical conclusion is, is that if we're not succeeding, if we're not healthy, if we're dying of, of a disease, of cancer or COVID-19, then somehow God is displeased with us. We don't have enough faith. We, we are not walking with God as we should. The idea, if I live a good life, God will bless me with good things is something that people want to believe. And if I sin more, I'll suffer more. And Jesus does not go there. Although suffering at times is definitely caused by human sin, no doubt about it, and Pilate's evil uh, is a prime example of that, what he did to these Galilean pilgrims, Jesus does not ascribe to this idea that if we see someone suffering, it's because someone has sinned. That suffering is always caused by someone's personal sin. What is true is that Anything can happen to anyone in this world at any time, not because we are worse sinners than the rest, but because this is the nature of living in a fallen world. The Apostle Paul addresses this forcefully in the book of Romans. And he talks about the various ways in which sin manifested itself in the world. And, and he does say that a great deal of suffering is due to human sin. Romans declares that all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death. And then he says in Romans 8, all creation is cursed because of human sin. All disease, including the coronavirus, I believe, is part of that curse. In light of all this, Jesus plainly says, this is what you should do. 
repent. Repent or you too will perish. Now, I don't think he's talking about physically dying here, uh, although we're all going to die one day of something. Everybody understands that. This word perish is referring to spiritual death, not being ready to face God when this life is over. In fact, he says, repent and turn to God. That there is a turning spiritually of our hearts and our lives in repentance. The why of this pandemic is not important. It's really not important that we understand which animal it came from, not from a personal point of view, from a scientific and medical point of view. They're trying to learn as much as they can about it and, and develop a vaccine for it or some drug treatment or therapy that will help people to survive it. But the why of it is not, not important when compared to the how we are to respond to suffering in our life in light of eternity. What are you personally going to do about this time in our nation? Now, what few are saying right now from the president all the way down, I'm not hearing it, is, is, is a call for a national day of prayer and fasting. I'm not hearing anybody call people to humble themselves before God, to repent of our sin, to return to the foundations of our nation, that, that are rooted and grounded in a Judeo-Christian heritage. Not everyone that, that was a founding father was a, was a believer, no doubt about that. But if anything, this pandemic ought to be a warning to us. A warning to us from God to repent and to return to Him. Did God send this plague upon the earth as He did in the Old Testament? Is this a sign of the last days? Are, are these the beginnings of a tribulation that will precede the second coming of Jesus? I've had so many people ask me that. And some are convinced it is. I don't know the answer. I would be deceptive uh, and, and just outright lying if I told you that I do. But what I do know is that life, human life, is fragile and uncertain. Human beings are far more vulnerable than we care to admit until we find ourselves paralyzed by something that's so small that the naked eye cannot even see it. One thousandth of an inch, that is the size of this novel coronavirus. Can only be seen in an electron microscope. No wall around our borders, no arsenal of weapons, no matter how many guns you own, will protect you from this. Not one. And, and yes, older persons like myself are more susceptible to dying from this infection. The fact is, a baby died last night from it. Um, adults of all ages are getting sick and dying from it. This shakes us, doesn't it? It strikes fear in our hearts. It may at some point cause people to do irrational, hateful, and hurtful things to one another. There is a remedy. And it's not hoarding toilet paper. 
and filling your pantry up with food. That is not what we ought to be about right now. We, we should not be panicking. We should be praying. We should be seeking God. Jesus says, repent or you too will perish individually and corporately as citizens and as a nation. We must repent. This is what Jesus says in light of suffering and pain and tragedy. We should repent. And to repent at its simplest definition means to change directions, to turn away from a life that is centered around things, around ourselves, uh, around our own plans and our own course of action day by day. It's a life that's lived for God, a life in which Christ is the center of our existence. We turn around, we turn back to God. In fact, uh, from the very beginning, the two-sided coin of salvation has involved repentance and faith, turning away from sin and from self unto Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. This, this is not a political statement. This is reality. Our leaders, both religious and political, uh, ought to be calling us as a nation to prayer. They ought to be urging us to repent, to humble ourselves in God's presence. And they ought to do this without fail every single day. I am weeping every day over what is happening to people that, that I love and, and, and the, the burden this is creating in our culture, in our nation, and in our world. But I'm telling you, friends, God is trying to get our attention he is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get your attention. He is calling us to repent. In March, on March 30th, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed a proclamation for, for a nation that was, within, was, was at war within itself during the Civil War. And he says this, And insomuch as we know that by God's divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not just, justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us? for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people? We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven, Lincoln said. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. And then he goes on to say, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become 
too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that, that made us, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. This was from the President of the United States in 1863. It's easy to rage against the goodness and, and greatness of God in a time like this, to deny God's existence because of all that is wrong with the world. But you know, even if you reject God, you're still left with the problem of evil and suffering, aren't you? Where is God in this pandemic? If you read the account of the crucifixion, you will find the answer. God is in Christ with you at Calvary. God is in Christ for you at the cross at Golgotha. God in Christ says to you, I won't always remove the suffering. And I won't always give you a reason for your suffering. But I can assure you that I know what you're going through because I have put my son through hell for you. All the judgment, the condemnation, the consequence of our sin and our shame and our arrogance and pride, all of that was put on Jesus at the cross. All of it. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might be made right with God. Peter said in his letter, chapter 2, verse 21, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. So the answer of Christianity to this question of the problem of evil is that God has suffered with us and for us at the cross. And if we want to be set free ultimately from this broken, painful, evil world, we must come to Him, to His Son. Repent and believe the gospel. Paul says in Romans 8.18, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory God will reveal to us later. We have a hope that transcends what we are going through today, right? Amen, we do. We have a hope that is eternal. And it's just been on my heart all week to call us to repent. I have been repenting. This is a time, if there ever was a time, for self-examination, for reflection, for journaling, for prayer, for meditation, for long walks, six feet from everybody else, right? With God, talking to Jesus, listening to Jesus, allowing Jesus to put to death in us all those things that have kept us from walking with Him and loving Him and serving Him with our whole hearts. And so, Lord, as we... Uh, bring this service to an end today. We just thank you for your presence among us. You are here for us. And we pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that you would sweep through our nation and that you would bring about spiritual renewal 
and revival to the United States of America. We pray that for our, for our world. We pray that nations will turn to you. We pray that we will find in these words of Jesus hope for tomorrow as we repent, as we turn back to God. For surely, Lord, we shall all perish unless Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And this we pray in his name and for his glory and pleasure and honor.